Hello, everybody. It's Fatu, and I'm back with Good to Know. Wow, it's been a while. I know. Please don't remind me. I haven't uploaded another podcast in over a month, but I'm back again, and I'm here with my very special guest, Tracy, and we're here to do the final installment in our Millennial Finance Series. This one is about student loans and student loan debt. And so how we're going to do this is I'm going to ask Tracy the questions. I'm going to give my answer, and Tracy's going to pepper it over with her more educated response. So hi, Tracy. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. We're glad to have you back. The people have been asking, where are we? Where's the next episode? I want my debt questions answered, and so here we are today. Perfect. All righty, so I'll go in with the first one, which I'm going to combine because they're both sort of the same question. So it's, should you only make the minimum payments on student loans and how to tackle student loans? So... Um, As you all know, I graduated last year, so I'm currently tackling the student loan situation. And right now I'm making the minimum payment, but Tracy has let me know that that is not wise. And I should be making more than the minimum payment because I'm gonna be paying forever if I just pay the minimum payment. And by the way, I'm gonna be candid. The amount I owe in student loans I'm actually gonna pull up right now is roughly um, 27,000 something, something, something. And my interest rate is like four and a half percent, and my minimum payment is one hundred and ninety-one dollars a month. And I talked to Tracy about it, and I think I'm going to start paying around three fifty, but I'm going to start at two fifty. And basically, which I'm, I know Tracy's going to say is, no, you shouldn't make pay just the minimum. You should pay more than the minimum, or you're going to be paying forever. Tracy, would you like to add? Well, great answer. So first of all, thanks for your transparency. Uh, for sharing your situation. Um, So should you only make the minimum payments? I I agree with you. I think you shouldn't because I think it will take uh, an inordinate amount of time for you to pay it off um, and it will prevent you from other larger goals that you might have such as um, saving for retirement, maybe buying a house, things like that. So I think the the sooner that you can pay them off, the better off you'll be from a financial standpoint. Um, And one question that was also aligned to that was how do you tackle the student loans? And I would really, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this um, when we were talking about your personal situation. Rather than um, just making the minimum payments for either tackling the loans is to come up with just an aggressive but doable payoff schedule. So um, maybe you're supposed to pay off your loans in 12 years. And you're like, you know what, I really want to get it done in four. What would that take? What would that look like? And so you and I were working through like a little simple amortization schedule to say how much extra would I have to pay? Um, because I believe if you have a specific target, you're going to actually be trying to strive for that target. Versus if you just say, well, I'm going to take all the extra money I have and put it towards the loans. I think if you don't have a set target and you don't have a set amount and you're kind of giving more from the excess versus planned, um, that you won't be as consistent and as successful at paying it off early. Right. And I, I told myself when I graduated that I wanted to have my student loans paid by the time I was 25. Well, I'm turning 22 next Sunday, and this $27,369.98 is still staring at me. So if I want to pay these off by my 25th birthday, I have to be aggressive. Like Tracy said, that's going to be three years. So I can't just be paying the minimum if I want to have it done by 25. So next question. 
This question is, was kind of a doozy for us because we weren't sure exactly how to tackle it because we weren't sure exactly what they were referencing. But the question is, if something is in collections, is it too late to get aid on the debt? Well, this is a student loans episode, but I just took this as debt in general. And personally, what I've done before, if I've had something in collections, it wasn't a student loan debt. It was like some random $100 medical thing. And so I called the collection agency and let's say it was $100. I told them, hey, I, I want to pay off this debt in collections, but I only have $50 today. I honestly can't remember if it was $200 or $100. But either way, I told them I can only pay off this amount. Can I pay all this today and have this removed from my history? Because, you know, obviously, if you have something in collections, it's bad on your credit score and your credit history because that looks bad. And so obviously the person on the phone is going to be like, no, we need the full amount. But you have to keep going with them. And if you just say, okay fine, I guess I won't pay it. Then they'll be like, okay, I'll work with you and you can pay it off. But make sure you have everything in writing and everything in writing so you can say, if I pay X amount today, it will be removed from my history and I will no longer have this debt. But Tracy, would you like to add because you didn't interpret it this way and we, it might be for student loans. Yeah. So, let's just, so, yeah. yeah. so specifically for federal student loans, if a federal student loan is in collection, um, then you are not you're not eligible for additional federal assistance or federal aid that for the time you're in um, for the time that you're in collections or for the time you're in default even on your loan. So you do lose certain benefits by putting yourself in that situation. Now, if you can get yourself out of the situation, get yourself out of collections or even out of default, then you would be eligible for other benefits tied to the student loans and. I know we're going to talk about it um, on the next question, but a couple of the benefits that are available to you under a federal student loan, uh, kind of one of the key ones is going to be income-driven repayment plans. Um, so it's kind of reflecting the fact that you're not going to be making your you know, ultimate salary the day you get out of school. It's going to start increasing, so they tend to align your payments with your income. And there's also some opportunities in certain situations for forbearance on the loan, where you can actually have a stay on your payments if you're in a certain situation. And you lose those opportunities and those benefits if you do go into collections with your student loans. And some people might ask, because I was going to ask probably a couple weeks ago, what does it mean to default on a loan? It might seem obvious to some people, but defaulting on a loan, student loan, or I guess any loan in general, means this is me quoting from the World Wide Web. It says, if you do not make any payments on your federal student loans for 270 to 360 days and do not make special arrangements such as forbearance or um, deferment, then your loans go into default and they go to that collection agency. And then you have this monkey on your back until you pay it off. So that's what defaulting is. Okay, so the next question is, how do you refinance your student loan? And well, I haven't refinanced any of my student loans, but so I'm sure another person might ask, what does it mean to refinance a student loan? So let's say currently my interest is four and a half percent. If I wanted to refinance them, I would work with some outside agency because as Tracy is probably going to mention soon, the government does not refinance your student loans. You'd have to get that done with like a credit union or a bank or some other outside entity. And so refinancing that would maybe say my interest rate goes from four and a half percent to three and a half percent. But that might not be the best course of action if you do that, Tracy. What happens if you refinance a student loan? What can happen if I, so let's say I'm a teacher. 
I'm a teacher and I want to refinance my school loan because it's just way too much. And since I'm a teacher, I work for the U.S. government if I work at a public school. What happens to me as a teacher if I refinance my student loans? So we talked a little bit on the last question. You've got certain benefits tied to your federal student loan. You've got income-based repayment. You've got um, opportunities for forbearance or for just deferments in some situations. And also in certain lines of work, you actually have the opportunity for loan forgiveness that says if you work in the public sector, if you work in certain jobs or certain areas that after a certain number of years, they'll actually forgive um, a portion or all of your unpaid student loans. Um, and those benefits that are tied to your federal loan are not typically available in the open market. So if you were to go and refinance your student loan from 4.5% to 3.5%, you would be saving that interest, which is real hard dollars, but you'd be losing a number of those intrinsic benefits that are part of your current loan. So you just need to be really clear on what your situation is, what your likelihood is to actually receive some benefits or have some reason to need those benefits in the future before you make the call to refinance your student loan. Okay, so let's say I'm not a teacher. Let's say I just want to, I'm me right now, regular Fatu, and I just want to refinance my student loans, and I'm refinancing them because I think I can, with my lower interest rate, I can pay it off quicker. Would that be a better idea if I'm just a regular person? I don't plan on deferring them or doing any yeah. forbearance? So I, so I think typically that would be a good, good idea to save a little bit of money if you're not looking at any of those certain things. But uh, for, if I'm Fatu and I'm a, I'm a single-income household with one job, um, if something happens and you, you're like, hey, I'm done with this, I want to go back to school, or hey, it just is not working out, I'm going to quit work for three or four months. Well, you have some benefits that are tied into your federal loan that will help you kind of match your payments to your income for your job. If you go out and refinance with a local credit union, with an online banking company, with your, with your personal bank, you're going to have a set payment like your car payment that's gonna be set for the life of that loan and there's not gonna be any flexibility if one of those unforeseen circumstances happens of, you know, you need to take a break from work for some reason. So a little bit more risk, um, but as long as you're comfortable and secure in making those minimum payments through the life of the new loan and you're gonna save money, then it's not a bad idea. Okay. But be, but be careful because All now right. you're giving up some things. Okay, so everybody, if you wanna refinance your student loans, think long and hard about it and think twice before you do it. And so next question, is it smart to buy a house if you have student loan debt? I mean, personally, like I told you guys, I'm going to repeat the number again, $27,369.98. And honestly, compared to some of my friends, it's a pretty low number. And I don't plan on buying a house in the foreseeable future. One, because I have student loan debt. I have car debt. And those are pretty big debts. And I personally just would not want to buy a house and add even more debt onto that because you have to have the mortgage, property taxes, and if you're in a house, you're not in an apartment anymore. You have to pay for all those maintenance fees if anything happens to your home. So I personally would not buy a house if I had student loan debt. And if I did buy a house, I'd make sure I had a really, really low student debt. So maybe if I had like under 5000 of that $27,000 left, Maybe I'd consider it, but even then I'd still be like, mm, let me just finish paying it all off before. Tracy, what do you think? So I think it's personal preference. It's sort of you alluded to. I personally um, would like to not have any other debt before I entered into a mortgage. So I'd love to have my car paid off. I'd love to have my student loans paid off. I'd love to have any other outstanding credit cards, uh, bank cards, any other things that you have outstanding. I'd like to see those paid off before you enter into a mortgage. Um, and I think one of the things is, you know, some folks are going to say, well, Tracy, that's just not realistic. It's, it's a lot of money and, and got it. And maybe that's the case. And then I would say, well, but just know that 
maybe it's not realistic and it is a lot of money, but then you're looking at just coming in and stepping in more and bringing in more money on the obligation. Um, and so I just make sure you were super clear about kind of what your goals were and what your plan was to, to ultimately um, get out of your debt so that you could start saving for larger goals, which could be buying a house, could be retirement, could be a vacation, could be a new car, things like that. So, Good idea to me. Yeah. And so I think this is the last question. How to transition from renting to buying slash how much to save for a mortgage? Again, I don't own a home and I am just renting my apartment, so I honestly can't really say. So Tracy, what do you think about the transition from renting to buying? Actually, not your personal experience. What was it like for you from when you first was renting an apartment for in your younger years and then were you like, okay, I need to get a house I'm a grown up now. Yeah. What? What? How was that well, like? So this was this was years and years and years ago, and um, my husband at the time, his grandfather actually gave him a down payment for the house. So that actually really accelerates it really quickly. So that's not a reasonable situation. Okay, everybody, ask your your husband's grandpa or your wife's grandpa <laughs> to give you so, a, to give a you a down, down payment. payment. For the house. Please. So that was years and years ago. So I think that's I'm not a good I'm not <laughs> a good judge on that because I was very very fortunate in that standpoint. But I think if you're looking at a mortgage, I think the, the first thing you need to kind of figure out is what's kind of what your budget is and what you're planning to spend on the house. And I would say be very, very careful about that of looking at your own personal budget and look at how much you're bringing home and look at what your goals are versus going to a lender and getting them to tell you what they'll loan you because they will always loan you way more than is reasonable right. for, for any individual or even any family to, to sign up for. So kind of figure out what you think that mortgage is going to be. Um, based on what you're going to borrow. Uh, for two, you actually mentioned things like homeowners associations, home maintenance and upkeep, property insurance, property taxes. Those are all pretty material lumps that when you're renting, those are all, most of those are lumped into your rent, right? But with your mortgage, when you're owning your house, they're outside. So make sure you understand fully what that cost is. Um, and I would look at your budget and say, okay, let's assume maybe you're paying $1,000 a month for rent right now. Yeah, right now I pay I pay 1100 in rent. Okay. So you're paying 1100. So let's say that you figure out that your mortgage with the homeowners and the maintenance and the taxes and everything is going to be $1900. Well, you better make sure now like if it were me that you've already got the money to cover that $1900 in your budget because it's not going to miraculously show up. Right. Once you buy the house. So that's the first step is making sure you can actually fit it in your budget and you know how you're going to fit it in your budget. Um the second piece on that then is a down payment on the house. So typically, um, back when I was looking at house, I mean, when I was coming out of college in the 90s, um, kind of the gold standard was 20% down payment on the house. And with the home prices, at least in the area we're in, I mean, that's a huge number. The minimum home price in Plano is probably in the upper 200 to low $300,000. So you're talking about a $50,000 down payment. That's a lot of money. So it is a lot of money. Um, so I know in some cases you can get you can absolutely borrow more money than the eighty percent. Um, I would target, a, I would say at a minimum a ten percent down payment. Um, so if you're going to buy a two hundred thousand dollar house, then you need to have twenty percent to put down on the house. I would also make sure that you have at that point a really good safety net, and that might be it may be six months of expenses because you're going to have unexpected things happen. A, a major plumbing issue or a major roof issue or something like that that comes up unexpectedly. So your emergency fund is going to become a lot more critical when you move into homeownership over renting. So yeah. Um, so put a pencil to paper and take a look and, um, and look around and good luck. Yes. And again, make sure you do all of your research 
and you exhaust all of your efforts. I mean, obviously, no one just like wakes up one day and says, I'm going to buy a house and goes to the first bank and gets that loan and has whatever money they have and just buys a house. But, you know, really think about it. This is a big decision. And Tracy, on the topic of this, it's kind of off topic right now. But what do you think about starter homes? I feel like lots of people these days have starter homes and they buy one house. They're going to get like another house in 10 years and they have more kids or need more space or something like that. What do you think about a starter home? Is that a good idea? I think it's actually an awesome idea. Really? Um, I, I, I see a lot of people and, and from my generation and generations younger than me that uh, when they start looking for a house, they look at the house their parents have. Well, they don't realize that their parents have been working for 30 years longer than they have, and that their parents have a much higher income level. A lot of, a lot of um, my friends and then those folks also younger than me, they want kind of that dream home right now, and they don't want to wait for it. And the problem is you put yourself in such a tough financial situation that you're not going to have the dream that you want. And so I'm personally a very huge fan of the starter home, of get something that is much more meager. Um, at least in, in most areas in the U.S., property values are going up. So go ahead and buy the smaller home, get comfortable fitting in that budget. You know, your family's gonna change. Maybe you get married, maybe you don't, maybe you have kids, maybe you have multiple kids, um, and start saving for the larger house. I mean, I think that would be a great transition from an, you know, from an apartment or from renting to being a, a starter home. And quite frankly, it's not uncommon to have roommates in homes. So you also Fair. have that opportunity to help you. But I think it's, I think it's a great idea. I think if you go out, um, and buy your dream car and buy your dream home and have all your dream vacations when you're first out of school, you're um, gonna set up a financial structure that's unsustainable and that won't let you save money for kind of those future big goals that you might have. Yes, Tracy, as us youngsters call it, that's called hustling backwards. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> yes, hustling backwards, yes. Don't graduate and get a house and a super nice car and take all these vacations everywhere if you can't afford it because that is hustling backwards. But I think that is it. Is that it, Tracy? That's all our questions we have. Do you have any final words? Uh, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled about all the folks that are interested in this. And um, you know how to reach me if, it, too, if anybody has specific questions. Yes. But, um, I, you know, I wish everybody the best and make good choices and best of luck to you. Well, that's it for our Millennial Finance three-part series. This is the series finale. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much, Tracy, for taking time out of your days three times in a row to come on the podcast and speak to everybody. So, Tracy, again, thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Have a great day. I swear I'm going to upload a new podcast. I swear I will. Just give me some time. I'm about to go on vacation, clear my head, have an eat, pray, love trip, and I'm going to get back to recording the podcast. Knock on wood. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.